What just happened in Acts in your, in, when, when Tyler was preaching last week or before? You can actually talk back. Boldness, Boldness happened. Oh, why, well, why did the Holy Spirit give him boldness? What happened? This guy's hard. He asked for, to preach lust, but what had just happened? Pentecost, okay, yeah. Persecution. So Pentecost happens in Acts chapter 2, and you guys are in Acts chapter 4 right now. Pentecost is a Jewish holiday, but the Holy Spirit is poured out, and effectively the church is born. People are filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit for the first time. And crazy stuff happens. They're speaking in tongues and prophesying, and Peter goes from scaredy cat to like bold preacher, acts like an apostle, gets up and gives a message that explains from the Old Testament like he's an exegete, like he's suddenly this scholar. Did you notice that <laughs> in Acts 2? And he says, this is what was spoken of in the prophet Joel. And he's like quoting Joel, and you're like, how did you know Joel? That's amazing. And then he just talks about Jesus and how Jesus is the promised Messiah and how he was killed by God's plan and raised from the dead and the people are touched and they like respond. And a bunch of them become followers of Jesus. Anyone know how many? You're not supposed to answer. You're the pastor. <laughs> Okay, should we keep Tyler from answering the next questions? <laughs> no, you're right, you're right. Three, can you, you guys imagine that? Like church growth 101, <laughs> add 3,000. So that's Acts chapter 2, right? And they start hanging out, and then Acts chapter 3 happens, which someone over here said persecution happens. So John and Peter are saying, well, we should go to the temple because it's time to pray, and they run across this lame dude by a certain gate. Do you know this story? What happens? They heal, they heal him, right? They look at him and they say, the guy asks for money, you know, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, and they look at him and go, we don't got any, any flow, bro. And so what we do have, we'll give you, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. The guy stands up, walks, he's running around, dancing, praising, a crowd comes in. Because Are you picturing a temple structure, like a big giant patio, like outside there, but bigger? So there's like the really cool temple part. There's this giant patio thing with colonnades. And so there's people hanging out. If you've seen The Chosen, they kind of do a good job of showing what it might have looked like. So Peter's like, well, why are you looking at me? I didn't do nothing. It was the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And they start preaching. And then like the Pharisees, the leaders of the, the Jews, they, they get mad at them, come and grab them and arrest them. Nevertheless, some more people follow Jesus. Remember how many it is now? 5,000. It's now 5,000 people. So they get arrested, and the leaders don't know what to do with them because the people like them, and they're like, it's all political now. Like, if we get mad at them, then the people will be mad at us, and they might stone us, and that'd be bad, so we don't want to do that. What should we do? They said, don't preach anymore. And they go, look, whether we should obey you or God, you decide, but we're going to obey God. And we're going to keep giving witness to everything that we've seen and heard. This is Acts 3, right? And, I mean, yeah. No, Acts 4. We're in Acts 4 now. So this is almost to where Tyler was last week, right? So they get back and they start praying, and that's what Tyler preached about. And they pray not for protection, but they pray for more boldness. For They say, Lord, grant that we would speak your word with boldness and that we'd stretch out your hand in the name of Jesus to heal the sick. So they go from there rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer some persecution, and that gets us to where we are today. And I asked Jovi, where are you guys going to be studying? And he gave me six verses, because it sounds like you're going to be going through Acts for four years. Is that right? <laughs> so he said, well, we're going to be Acts 32 through 37. I should pull out some notes so I can figure out what I'm going to talk about. 
Oh, you know what else I should say? I told you Joby's a, a great pastor. I was not lying. Your church is a great church. And sometimes people that are in a church like, don't know it. Like if you ask a, a fish what they think of the water, they'll like, say, what's water? Because they don't know that they're in water because that's all they've known their whole life, so they don't know that there's a thing called water. So you might not know, since you're swimming in this great church, what a great church you have. But you have, like, amazing people. Your worship band that just led worship, they were like, oh, we're not very big today. But you guys were awesome. Brian, what a voice. What a guitar player. Alish, come on. Was it Ryan? Ryan's the, this guy over here, right? Shredding. So I get here early, and I meet Jessica, who's here way before some of you even got out of bed, and she's, like, setting up coffee cart and stuff, right? Is that right name, Jessica? And then I meet Danny and Anthony, they're back here. So you got people that are serving you, showing up early to make this thing happen, and then everything else that happens throughout the week. And you guys, you just, you're an awesome church. Don't, don't miss out. What you have is worth telling people about. Really. I, I know a lot of churches. I'm friends with tons of pastors. And you have a very, very special church. And you love each other. You, I know that your church has gone through quite a, an amount, quite a lot of tragedy in the last year. A lot of struggles, and you have carried each other and cared for each other in an admirable way. You know, if we were in the New Testament times, Paul would be writing you a letter saying how people are talking about you all over Asia because you're such a great group of people. I'm serious. That's, you'd, be one, you'd be like the, the church at Philippi. Some, you know, you'd be like, wow, the church at Escondido is amazing. So be encouraged and keep going. So the passage that we're going to read sort of describes you guys a little bit, in my estimation, because of everything I just said. So let's just, um, let's just read it. I'm going to back up to Acts 4.31, where Tyler ended last week. And then just read through verse 37, and we'll talk about it a little bit. And we'll get a title for this sermon from, the first, from, from verse 32. But Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, which is kind of cool, like an earthquake. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, most of these guys already had been filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So that's interesting. I'm, I guess they leaked, and they needed to be <laughs> refilled. I think. Do you leak? I mean, I do. I need, I need re-infillings all the time. So they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again, and they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. And here's verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed, that the full number now is 5,000. So notice that. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. When I begin to pray for you guys and pray for what we talk about and read that, I just had to stop right there. That's what we'll talk about. We'll read the whole thing, but listen. To, actually, you know what? Would you, it's on the screen behind me, right? Would you read with me that phrase at the beginning of verse 32, just the, up to the comma together? So one, two, Three. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And then we'll go on. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, 
For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as he had any need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I thought that was a clever way for Luke to introduce us to Barnabas. You know, Luke's the author, right? He's actually a really good writer, too. He just kind of sneaks in Barney there, and we'll get to know Barney later, but that's not what we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about the full number of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. And Lord, um, we are approaching this writing as if you wrote it, because we think you wrote it. We believe that you inspired the writing of the Word of God for our instruction. Please open our hearts to hear from you right now in this Word. Um, I, in my study, went to a commentary called Robertson's Word Pictures in the New Testament, and he said that this phrase was surprisingly not in English like it is in Greek. So in English, in English we read they were of one heart and one spirit, or one soul. It actually sounds like this literally in Greek. There was one heart and soul in the multitude of those who believed. So just imagine that for a minute. Like 5,000 people, newly starting to gather together, they are daily coming in homes, breaking bread. They're frequently coming together in Solomon's temple to hear the apostles' teaching. They're dedicated to prayer. They're dedicated to fellowship. They're dedicated to the apostles' teaching. They're trying to tell people about Jesus. They're trying to be witnesses. They're trying to fulfill the Great Commission. The disciples are trying to figure out what a church is and how to lead one, you know, kind of like us today. <laughs> Nothing's changed. And after this infilling of the Spirit, one of the results was there was one heart and one mind or one soul, it's translated both ways, in the multitude of those who believed. What do you think that would look like? What do you think that means? You know how you have a, a uh, mission statement or a, I'm not sure what you call this, a purpose statement, a, a statement statement. At the top of your handout it says, making disciples who make disciples locally and globally who are saved, equipped, and sent by the gospel. Imagine that this community had one heart and one mind. And every person thought, well, I know this is what I and we are about. We are about making disciples who make disciples both locally and globally, who will be saved, equipped, and sent. I know what I'm about. And we all are about that. So there was one heart and one soul in the multitude of the people, and one of the results was no one ever lacked anything. So this one heart and soul thing is an idea that is all through the Bible, it turns out. So I saw that, I thought, that sounds familiar. I'm getting echoes of this phrase in other parts of the Bible. And I pulled out just a few of them to read to you, because in hearing the word and the repetition of things that are through the Bible, sometimes it gets settled in our soul and our spirit and we begin to own it a little bit more. But this idea was a prayer of Jesus. It was actually a promise prophesied by Jeremiah and others. And it's also all through the teachings of the apostles. So in the prayer of Jesus, uh, I hope you recognize this. Oh, here's, here's something for you to watch for. When we read this, 
Look for the number of times in two sentences in this part of the prayer that Jesus says, I'm praying that they may be one. Just see if you can count these and watch it, and then I'll test you. <laughs> I do not ask for these only, Jesus praying to the Father, but also for those in Escondido, in Escondido who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, Father, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you loved me. Sent them and loved them, even as you've loved me. In spite of me stumbling through being able to read, <laughs> how many times did Jesus pray in two sentences that you and I would be of one heart and one soul? You saw that. Do you think maybe he meant that? That was on his heart. When you, when you pray something, do you ever repeat yourself? Because you really, that's the thing that you're after. Another question, do you think that Jesus is probably good at praying? Don't you think? Yes. I, I, thank you, uh, Pastor Casey. <laughs> you know what you don't have is a clock in the back. I could go too long. I better watch my... So, <laughs> so Jesus prayed it. The prophets prophesied it. You, you know the prophecy of the new covenant in Jeremiah. Are you familiar with that? It's repeated in Hebrews. Does this ring a bell? You know what I'm talking about? You guys are like a word church. I've, I've seen some of your sermons. You like going to Bible school when you go to church. I'm serious. You like go deep. So in Jeremiah, remember when he prophesies that there's a day coming when God's going to establish a new covenant? It's not going to be like the old covenant where the instructions, the Torah, the law of God is written on tablets of stone, but on the hearts of people. And then in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews teaches that again. Well, right after that section, as, he, as Jeremiah is developing that word, he says these words, I will give them one heart. Same, same idea that Jesus prayed for that happened when the Spirit came on them after they prayed at the end of Acts 4 that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. And, you know, in some sense, you all know the Tower of Babel story? You guys do. do you, maybe you don't. So, in Genesis 11, after Noah say, you know, survived, when God decided to kill everyone on the planet, it's kind of a horror story, actually. And somehow we decorate our nurseries with <laughs> Noah's Ark. But it's a really scary story because the wrath of God comes on the incredible sinfulness of people. And I'm thinking, I thought we were bad, but can you imagine what they were like? The God said, mm -mm, that's it, I'm killing all of them. Noah, we'll start with you again. After all of that, the world starts getting populated again, and some people say, you know what, let's build a tower, and we'll show what kind of people we are. We'll be unified. They build this tower to make a great name for themselves, and God sees them and goes, mm-mm, that's not going to happen. And he scatters them, changes the languages, and they become the nations, right? Then at the day of Pentecost, he gathers the nations, gives them a new language. They start speaking the wonders of God in a heavenly language, and he kind of reverses it, right? So they're, so they're all one. And that's sort of part of this Jeremiah fulfillment. Read it again. I will give them one heart and one way. Now, here's something from some of the apostolic teaching. This part we could just go forever and ever if we had more time. But here's one from Paul to the church at Philippi. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are... And here's the big phrase, that you are 
standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The standing word is a military term, so you get that picture. The striving side by side is an athletic term, so you picture like a sports team trying to win a sporting event. But standing side by side, this is you guys who are called to be Fill with the Spirit so that you have one mind and one heart standing side by side, contending, striving for the gospel, which sounds like the language I hear preached out of this pulpit from all your pastors. You always talk about preaching the gospel. In fact, in your notes, it talks about preaching the gospel to yourself. Every time I talk to Joby, it's about preaching the gospel to me, to you, to everybody, right? Standing side by side for the sake of the gospel. One more. Romans 15, Paul says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may be with one voice. So you're hearing one, 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 one. You may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as God has welcomed you. So I picture... A sports team, I picture a, a bunch of individual soldiers who are really skilled and competent. They come together to form an army. A bunch of athletes that are individual, they come and take their individual talents and gifts and abilities, put them together as a team. I picture when I hear one voice, I picture a choir or a symphony orchestra where a bunch of talented musicians, each who could be a soloist, laying down their prerogatives, like it says in Ephesians 2, what Jesus did, to form some beauty. I, wanted, I saw this in my mind and thought, maybe I could find an illustration of this. So I have a 45-second video clip of, do you know who John Williams is? John Williams is a composer-conductor who wrote music that you all know and could hum, like the Star Wars theme. <laughs> so this is John Williams conducting an orchestra playing the Indiana Jones theme, because I thought you'd know that, right? I could have done Beethoven. But um, watch this clip, and please do me a favor. Pay attention, be an analyst, and look at how many people are doing their different things individually, but together to form something that's beauty. Ready? Go go ahead and play that clip and see if it works. Come along, I know. Didn't John look happy when he was doing that? Oh, and that's that loop button on the ProPrint Center. <laughs> Did you pay attention? So you saw a fife and a flute and French horns and lots of violins and violas and cellos. They each had notes that were written down by some composer. And they had a conductor in front of them 
to whom they gave their full attention and followed his lead. Does that sound like anything that you've experienced in your life? You have notes written down by the great composer. You have a conductor called the Holy Spirit. And when we, with one voice and one mind, follow the notes written down on the page, under the conducting of the Holy Spirit, great music comes out. Now, each of those people could be a soloist on their own. Maybe some of them do perform as soloists. And they could have their thing. But you wouldn't get a, music, a movie score out of it. It wouldn't happen. This is us. This is the body of Christ. Too often, we're thinking about what our instrument sounds like. Um, or maybe I'm wrong. I mean, let's think about America in the last year. How's the church done? We've been very unified. But, you know, while the, while the orchestra was playing, I, I'm, I'm going to put money on this. None of you were thinking about whether any of them ate kosher food. <laughs> right? None of, none of you were wondering if any of the men were circumcised. <laughs> the stuff that you read about people fighting about in the Bible. None of you probably, now maybe you did, but very few of you probably were wondering who they voted for in 2016. It, it didn't matter. Their politics, the details of their religious experiences, their different views and different things had nothing to do with them playing the notes that were on the page before them to produce this orchestral piece together. They might have conversations later when they're having dinner about what's happening in the world or their views on stuff, and hopefully they respectfully love each other. But when it comes time to be an orchestra, they have one mind, they have one heart, they follow the, the written notes, they follow the word, and they're led by the conductor. And I'm using that, obviously, as a symbol of the Holy Spirit for us. With one heart and one soul. So... I'll read one more, 1 Peter 3.8. Not 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. We could go through lots of stuff in the, in the New Testament about oneness like this. But go back to the, the passage at hand and let's read it again. Now the full number of those who believe were with one heart and soul. I'm, I'm hoping that we're thinking now about things like orchestras and athletes and armies and the power, the powerful blessing of unity, the right kind of unity, where we put aside our petty differences and we don't make the things that are small become the things that are major, but we do make the things that are major become the things that are major, and we don't make the things that are major become small. The things that are major are you and I together contending for the gospel of Jesus Christ because we live in a world that is under the horrendous power of Satan. And there are destroyed lives all around us and they don't really care about our infighting in the church in America. And it's not going to help them. and It just doesn't matter. But what they do care about is that we are one. Well, they don't actually care about anything about us. 
But what they will care about is if we are one with each other and one with the Lord, with one heart and one soul, operating under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, together contending for the gospel of Jesus, and the world will be changed. So they said none of the things that belonged to them were their own. They had everything common. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was upon them. There wasn't a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds that was sold and laid at the apostles' feet. It was distributed each as they had need. Then this Joseph guy shows up and he sells some land and we introduced, we're introduced to Barnabas. So just some thoughts now. I'll wrap it up with just some thoughts about what we just read that we can maybe digest. So one was they had a different or a new biblical mindset that I think you and I can get a hold of. And it was this, that my material possessions, my talent, my time, don't belong to me alone, but they're entrusted to me for the sake of the church and for the sake of the mission of the church. That was a lot of words, so I better say it again. My time, talent, and treasure, that's one way to define my resources, my time, my talent, and my treasure. My time, my talent, my treasure don't belong to me alone. My time, my talent, and my treasure are entrusted. Can you think of this for you? Your time, your talent, and your treasure aren't for you alone. They're entrusted by God to you, among other things, for your church, the church, and for the mission of the church. That's why people talk about the tithe. Because it's a portion of the money entrusted to me for the sake of the church. If a people have that mindset, everything changes. Now, in any church that I run into, the leaders of the church have that mindset. They always do. They get some money, they don't think, oh, how could I get a nicer car? They get some money, they think, oh, what could I do with this for the church? They, they meet someone with new talent. They don't think, oh, how could I get famous from this? They think, oh, how could we incorporate this talent for the sake of glorifying Jesus, building his church, and reaching the world? They all, is that right, Tyler? Is that, you think constantly about this. They talk about it. This is what church leaders do. They never stop thinking about resources that come being for the church, for Jesus, and for his mission. It's how they do it. If a group of people, like a church like you, or any church, any group of people think everything I have has been entrusted to me, yes, for my blessing and my family, but also as the Spirit guides, what I have, my talent, my time, and my treasure, are entrusted to me for Jesus' church, to bring glory to him, to build the church, and to fulfill her mission. When a group of people think like that, and they come to those in their midst who are called to be leaders, called to have vision, called to lead the group toward a purpose, when they, everything they have, they are presenting to the community to say, here's what I got, what can we use it for? You have no idea, it's, it's not stoppable. What could happen? Do you believe me? I'm not sure you believe me. Tyler believes me. He's like, yeah, tell him, run. <laughs> Do I believe that enough to adjust my thinking to live that way? If I do, everything will change. 
I mean, seriously, everything will change. So they take all this mindset, and the result is, for one, the apostles gave testimony to the resurrection with great power. I think, you know, it doesn't say this happened and it caused this and it caused this. But it feels that way. It feels like the result of the infilling of the Holy Spirit on this community of 5,000 people resulted in them being of one heart and one soul, and that together resulted in the apostles having great power in um, witnessing the resurrection. It feels like it also resulted in not even one person among them was needy. Of 5,000, not one was needy. Because if there was one that had need, the community of people who said, my time, my talent, and my treasure belong to God for the sake of his church and her mission, then no one's needy. Now, I, I was saying earlier, I think your church has a portion of that that I've seen from outside. When you've had needs, when you've had people hurting in the last year, I've heard the stories of you all coming together to help each other for those needs. So, you know, Bravo Life Mission Church, you're amazing. But even more, press the pedal down and go for this. Not one person was needy. So, how, here's a question for me. Is it possible for me and a group of people to become like this? And for this, I, uh, this hopefully will be just quick and we'll be able to wrap this up because you'd like to be done, huh? <laughs> this is a favorite author of mine. I would refer you to read anything that he writes named Dallas Willard. Someone's a fan. Love, love, love Dallas Willard. He was, he's a theologian who's a philosopher who was actually the director of philosophy at USC. And he's passed away in the past years, but wrote some, some radically powerful, effective, church-transforming um, books in the years of his life. But he, he wrote about what happens when change happens. How is it that you get an idea like I just shared with you and make it reality? And he said, well, in all cases, you just need vim, like vim and vigor. You need vision, a picture of what could be. You need intention that you finally decide, I'm going to do that, and you need means. So, like, in becoming like Jesus, you need vim. A lot of people in America read about Jesus and what he teaches and go, that's really good, I agree with it, and never intend to follow him and obey him. And so they never change. Did you hear me? (laughs) If we don't intend to actually obey what Jesus said, (laughs) we'll never become like him. But if we intend to, he's given us the means by which we can become like him. So it's very doable, completely doable to be a disciple. Absolutely anyone can be a disciple. You just need vim. Vision, intentionality, and means. So you have possibly, from what we just read, some vision. You might be getting intention. If you do, we're almost there, but we already do have the means. And some of the means is being renewed in our mind by the Word of God, which you as a church do constantly in your community groups, your life groups, in your sermons. You are in the Word of God. Like four verses at a time in the Word of God. And you also have grace. And here is something that Dallas added to church understanding. What is grace? Define grace for me, somebody. Yeah, everyone says I'm heir to favor. That's right. Do you know that one? What's, what's grace over there? God's rich 
Oh, there you go. God's riches is at Christ's expense. I like that one too. So a lot of people think, okay, grace is what sinners need to get saved because we're saved by grace, right? But actually, grace is, is what sinners need to get saved, but it's what Christians really need. Grace, according to Dallas Willard's definition, is God acting in your life to accomplish what you can't accomplish on your own, which is like God's riches at Christ's expense, which is like unmerited favor, but a little bit more. And Dallas says it like this, yeah, sinners need grace to be saved, but true saints burn grace like a 747 burns jet fuel on takeoff. That has everything to do with us being one of heart, one of soul, because we have the means. We have the renewing of our mind. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can appropriate God's grace. Whenever in your life you come to something where you say, God's word says it should be this way. My life says it ain't so yet. I need help. You call out to God and he gives you grace to accomplish what you can accomplish on your own. And like a 747 at takeoff, you begin to burn the jet fuel of grace and God enables you to have in your life the thing that you're praying that he already said he wanted you to be. Did that make sense? That was kind of wordy, huh? <laughs> Appropriate the grace of God that we would be one in heart and mind, thinking everything that's my resource, my time, my talent, my treasure has been entrusted to me for the sake of Jesus' church. The community of people called to worship him and present him to the world. Everything I have is for the sake of his church and her mission. If we have that one heart and one mind together, God can change your city powerfully, unimaginably, incredibly. Broken life after broken life being restored to wholeness in Jesus. Broken relationships healed. Marriages on the brink healed. Children headed toward a life of addiction turned, becoming disciples, healthy, strong, future spouses, future employees that are healthy, that are changing the world. The poor being fed the gospel being incorporated into the life of our world. Can you just imagine it? Tyler's like, yeah, let's go. I can see he's like on the front row. Yeah. That's what all I'm going to do with Acts 32, 432 through 37, because the time has come. I think Scott, is that right? Scott's going to come and lead us in communion. So, Lord, I just pray for me and my family here that your word would be like a lamp, that your word would be like a fire, that your word would be like a waterfall to cleanse, a lamp to guide, a fire of enthusiastic fervor. Lord, we want to be worshipers who give you our all because you're worth it all. Jesus, you're worth it all. You're worth everything we got. We give you our lives. Bless us 
that we too could be like this church that had one heart and one soul, enjoying the powerful blessing of unity. In Jesus' name, amen.